over the past two months, you've heard a lot from me, if you've been with us at uh, Brownline, and I'm excited that Haley's leading our conversation today. I'm just sort of here as like the, the um, connection drawer, the question asker. Um, but uh, so if you've been with us, you'll know that we have been, our theme all fall has been societal burnout and how everybody's burnt out. It's not, a, it's not a thing with you as an individual. If you feel burnt out, everybody's burnt out. And that's why we should be talking about this, because that's a problem. And I've introduced a lot of elements to uh, this 500-year story we've been tracking. Uh, you know, time is speeding up, is the, is the story, to the point that today, our conception of what a full life is, is a busy life. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk more about that. Um, I wonder if, um, I feel like it's, it's helpful to hear things phrased differently from different people. And I wonder if we gave you the job of like, if somebody's here for the first time, hasn't been a part of the, the series that we've done so far, how would you bring us up to speed uh, with what we've been talking about here? Yeah, so I think along with what you've said so far, uh, we are offering alternative visions to the idea that productivity and busyness are kind of the badge of yes, yes, yes. Yep. badges of a well-lived life, um, because more and more this is leading to collective societal burnout and exhaustion. And there are different ways to mark our time other than just busyness. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And something that comes to mind for me that's been helpful, it's a little bit nerdy, okay. um, but there are two different terms for, or there's a few more, but two of the main terms for time in Greek are chronos time and kairos time. Okay, so this would be like Greek, which is what the New Testament of the Bible yes, is written yeah. in. Okay, so we see, so we're in the Jesus world, how they use the word time, yeah? Yes, okay. and so chronos time is what we probably think of, of like linear, there's a timeline for things, this is scheduled, to-do lists, calendar view, all of that type of thing. And then kairos time is measured a little bit differently. This is sacred time, which yes. we've been talking That's about been a lot. That's been my phrase all, year, all month, yeah. Yes, uh -huh. and this is looking at time moment by moment where you experience an in-breaking of God and this actually changes you. Yep. So you experience this and you share it with your community and you process it and you move forward as a changed person and as changed people. So this is really deep and meaningful time. Mm. So we are suggesting that these sacred moments, these deep and meaningful moments are actually a more fulfilling way to keep time than this linear productivity, grind culture, which we'll get into, mm -hmm, busyness, mm -hmm. um, all of those things. That instead, it's about this sacred and deep time. And sort of the, 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 the depth axis rather yes. than the linear one where you're trying to keep up and keep up and keep up and move fast and fast and fast. This is you're trying to get deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. Yes. Okay, yeah. got it, got it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so as you mentioned, we're going to lean into a, a symbol. We're going to add another voice to this. Yes. And so uh, tell us about Trisha Hersey and her book, Rest is Resistance. So I've been looking forward to talking about this book for a while now. I haven't been up here at the mic for a long time, too, so I told Vince this might be like an extended version <laughs> of a message. No, I won't put you all through that. Got a lot, yeah. Um, but Trisha Hersey is the founder of um, the NAP Ministry, and this is this book that we're going to talk about today is kind of her manifesto, summarizing the motivation behind that ministry and behind a movement that she leads called Rest is Resistance. So she is an ardor, an artist, a writer, a theologian, and a self-appointed nap bishop is what she calls herself. Nap bishop. I love <laughs> it. Um, but she curates sacred spaces for people like collective napping experiences um, and workshops on rest and performance art installations, things mm. like that. 
So this book is a collection of personal stories and resources behind why we need to center rest in our life and the dangers of not doing so. Mm -hmm. um, so I mentioned this really briefly, but the big term that she uses over and over again that we are overcoming is grind culture, which maybe you've heard before. Um, but she says that grind culture is the collaboration between capitalism and white supremacy. So maybe that's a little bit different of a definition than you've heard, mm -hmm. but undoing and countering grind culture is really the motivation of her work. That's interesting. And I think it's, it's uh, tying this to some of the things that we've been talking about so far. Um, when, we, when, when we've been referring to societal burnout uh, all fall, I think what uh, Trisha Hersey would call that is grind culture. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and then when we would be saying sacred time, or as you introduced, it's Kairos time, Ky Kairos? Kairos, Kairos time, time. Yeah. Uh, she would say rest. And mm -hmm. so, um, so we're, we're kind of drawing some connections here to what we've been talking about, but going to look at it from another angle. Yeah. And I do want to mention briefly too, that really key for this movement and for the book is centering black liberation. Um, and she's very clear, like, don't co-opt this messaging without acknowledging the ancestors that guided Trisha in writing, like her dad and her grandma, the influence of womanism, black liberation theology, kind of deep dives into histories of those enslaved in the South. She's really clear to say that rest is reparations and rest is liberation. And so this isn't just, oh, go take a nap. There's mm -hmm. some real, real depth to this and some really, really important things that we need to be working against through our resting, which we'll get into. That's good. A reminder for when we're looking at uh, the Bible in particular, we're going to bring in some scriptures today. Uh, and when we look at it from a liberation point of view, um, our, our quick definition when we do that is uh, most uh, understandings of the gospel or, you know, meeting God or why, why, why read the Bible or why pray or anything like that would be um, what we might call soul-saving theologies. And so it's the idea that you are a person not of belief and you need to be saved with right belief. Liberation perspectives on the gospel would say that the, the danger in the world is to be dehumanized, mm -hmm. to be considered inhuman. And what you need to be saved is not right belief, but to be, made, to be shown that you are human, to be shown dignity, to be humanized, uh, brought person Hood. And so, uh, and, and th there are many, many angles uh, into that, but those who speak most uh, helpfully and importantly on liberation perspectives would be those who would be marginalized mm -hmm. in our world. And so that, uh, this idea of centering uh, a black woman's voice um, mm -hmm. is why Trisha can speak with such uh, heft, I think, on the on this topic. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And rest is humanizing. Yes, yes. Which rest, exactly. Rest is not, it shouldn't be, it, it's not, it's not a luxury, right? It's, yes. it's something very important. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so there are um, four different sections of this book that I thought we would go through briefly, and we'll kind of weave in some stories as well, but just to kind of use this as a launching point. And the first one is um, rest, and what you just mentioned, rest is not a luxury. Okay. Yes. So okay. that's a great transition. She says that we can't be connected to rest in a really trendy, capitalistic way. Mm. Mm. It's because rest is a divine right, it needs to be accessible to everyone. Mm. So I think a lot of times when we're in a state of burnout, um, maybe there's this longing that you've had, I know I've had it before, to just kind of escape from daily life, to completely get away. And this isn't necessarily bad. I mean, there are things like retreats where you go with people and get away from your circumstances. But most, the most form of, or the most sustainable form of rest has to come from within our realities. Yes. I just, I'm feeling like sort of like 
pricked because I definitely, I conceive of rest, I think most default as like, let me escape from responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And maybe, maybe that's a limited view. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. she talks about for herself, she had to learn how to rest on her commute. She or how to take mm -hmm. little naps in between classes mm -hmm. when she was a grad student, things mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. That learning how to rest within your circumstances and within your realities is the most accessible form of rest. Mm -hmm. um, and I think often this idea of getting away from life often is seen as fuel to get back to it and go back to being productive. And she's clear to say that this isn't what the purpose of rest is. So we can pull up a quote here um, that I'm going to read for us. So Trisha writes, our drive and obsession to always be in a state of productivity leads us to the path of exhaustion, guilt, and shame. We falsely believe that we are not doing enough. The distinction that must be repeated as many times as necessary is this. We are not resting to be productive. We are resting simply because it is our divine right to do so. That is it. So I think of, I think of uh, Jesus' uh, teachings on Sabbath when we read that. Mm -hmm. And um, Jesus has this, uh, may, maybe most famous uh, response about Sabbath is, uh, the, uh, humanity is not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for humanity. Anybody familiar with that phrase? Now, when Jesus says that, we're told in the story, he is addressing uh, his first century context where the abuse was refusing to do good on the Sabbath because it would be considered work. I think our context is different, right? Like we're mm -hmm. obsessed with work. And so in our context, the abuse is seeing rest as merely recovery to then do more work. Yes. And this is pushing against it. This is rest is an end in and of itself. It's not just recovery to then go do the important thing. Yes. And learning this and putting it into action, this isn't just an individual endeavor, but it's an act of communal care as well. Okay. So this mm -hmm. idea of community care equals self-care, mm. or King's term of we're caught up in an inescapable network of mutuality. Mm. Um, and there's language that she critiques here that I found super interesting that talks about how rest functions individually and communally. She talks about the phrase, you can't pour from an empty cup probably have all heard this at some point, maybe used it at some point. But she says that this is actually off balance. You okay. can't pour from an empty cup. It's problematic that we mainly use this term or this phrase toward women, especially marginalized women who carry the burden of labor. Filling up your cup so that you can pour out to others doesn't really feel like true rest for her. Mm. She says things like, I just don't want to pour anymore, or I want to break all the cups. So communally, I'd love for us to think about who are we expecting to pour out to others, and are we placing more demands for giving than for resting? I think that's a really great question of not considering rest not just a matter of my individual rest, but considering rest in terms of in what way am I um, hindering or contributing to other people's ability to be resting? And that kind of gets us back at that, like, liberating perspective on um, faith community, right? Like if we're a faith community that is participating in God doing liberating work in, in the world, it, what matters is not just that I am resting, but what also matters is that I am creating a, or I am, I'm contributing to a larger picture in which everybody can rest and we're not the, the, you know, like those, those who are usually expected to be pouring out are mm -hmm. not the only ones that are expected to pour out. Yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's interesting that like, so like pragmatically, that is 
maybe maybe like the the result of that for somebody like me who would be who would, would have generally more privilege and power as a white male maybe like in this case I do have to be pouring out uh, as opposed to like relying on others to you know to uh, the, those traditionally expected to be pouring out but then I sort of like idealistically rather than pragmatically right in front of us is she sort of getting us to like imagine like we she wants to use different metaphors she wants to break yes, all the cups yeah. and like like we we should we can conceive of community in a different way than people pouring cups out into other people's cups right yeah, yeah. and i th i think it kind of gets at the when we think of that as, as so limited just like a cup pouring into a cup and uh -huh. emptied uh -huh. that's such a limited metaphor but instead it can be expansive because the idea of rest is expansive. Yeah, um, oh, it's like right. a scarcity mindset, right? Yes. Because there's only so much water. If we have all the, all of our cups are on the table and we gotta pour it out, somebody's gonna have an empty cup. Yes. And so we shouldn't think that way. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it gets at too, um, this idea of unlimited forms of rest and resources for rest, that rest really becomes an individual and unique um, thing than mm. instead of just, oh, go take a nap, go sleep longer, because for many of us, that may not be an option. Mm. I have a three-month-old and a three-year-old, and that is definitely not an I option. I can't be for you right now, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. And so it's, um, again, that grounding in your present reality. How can you experience rest? What are some practices that you can lean into or that you would like to lean into to actually fully experience rest? Mm. Uh, I know for me right now, some of my rest practices are taking walks, especially by the water. We live in Evanston, so we're right near the lake, and it's one of my favorite things. Um, deleting social media, which after reading this book was like the first thing that I decided to do is mm. to take regular breaks from mm. social media, and that has been a really big um, game changer and just feeling less exhausted through all the scrolling. Mm -hmm. um, and this idea of embracing less in my life so often in this kind of competitive mindset, we're told we need to do more and more and more, stay busy. Um, but now that I have less going on in terms of social events or things like that, or being by myself, I look forward to it so much more. I don't have as much anticipatory anxiety. And the time that's there feels like that sacred time. Mm. It feels like those deep and profound moments with people instead of just kind of putting it as another thing on my to-do list. So I would definitely encourage you all to think about what are some rest practices that you have in your life or some that you want to lean into more. Mm. I, I feel like, especially thinking about um, what I mentioned before, I think usually when I conceive of rest, I am thinking of like the, how can I escape? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, maybe there's something to that, but it's not the full picture yeah, of rest. Yeah, it's incomplete. And so really, I think the best picture of rest, regular regular rest in my life is actually a communal practice and it is so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell on my in-laws who I'm not sure are my in-laws in the room are they here somewhere I'm not sure if they're here oh they're, they are they're back here yeah okay so um, uh, so every Sunday my in-laws host soup Sunday and uh, if you've been around our church and you ever chat with them you might get invited to soup Sunday I'm, I'm putting you on notice folks you might get invited to soup Sunday this I think I think Soup Sunday is the best, um, like, perfect example of a regular um, rest for Trisha Hersey or sacred time, as mm -hmm. we've been talking about uh, all fall. It is a model of alternative timekeeping that, that is counter to 
keep up, stay busy, perform, you know, do all the things, be, be as, as, as uh, your best self. This is, this is so different from that. Uh, because every Sunday they're in town, basically what it is is they host an, an open invite meal and sometimes it's like, I don't know, six or seven of us and sometimes it's like a dozen of us even. <laughs> um, and there is no pressure to like, be like to make the nice it's a it's a pot of soup you know and 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 it, it's not like the most fancy thing in the world we're not eating on the finest china you know it is just so chill and relaxed and uh, we don't, i mean like amazingly this is so funny i can say this is amazing because i have such a hard time i was telling a friend uh yesterday when people come over that's my excuse to clean mm-hmm. and it's like you know like they, my, my in-laws are amazing. They don't even feel like they need to have the most clean home to invite you into. They're just like, yeah, that's part of life. And you can come and be, and nobody's going to judge each other because they genuinely believe that. They believe Jesus. When Jesus says, you know, take the log out of your eye before the speck in, in your neighbors. And I just, I'm so changed by spending time at Soup Sunday because I experience rest. Because I, I don't have to, like, show up with my best self or perform or keep up and there's no there's not an ounce of it that makes me feel like gosh I'm so bad at hosting people I'm just happy to be in the presence of people who care about stories and humanity and it's coming up we're almost to the 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 church season of advent and so every advent we'll like light the advent candles together and so we do little little like family rituals together and it's just wonderful every Sunday because it's sacred time it's deep and Mm -hmm. not about keeping up and going fast and that is, that's what gives me rest, I think. Uh, it's, it's interesting. It's like, I want to I default to defining rest as, no, I escape. Nobody else is around me. But really, that's the most restful thing in my week is Soup Sunday. Mm-hmm. So you're on notice. <laughs> All of you. You're going to be invited. Love that. Um, should we go to the next? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's the next section in, in what uh, Trisha talks about? So the next section that she talks about is dreaming. So Trisha says that there is wisdom that is dormant in our bodies and our minds because we are so exhausted. Mm. And she Wisdom that is dormant. I love that. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, But this idea of dreaming and daydreaming, she says, becomes a portal to access that wisdom. It gives us an opportunity to not be grounded in our physical realities. So this is a bit of escape, but in a very different way. Um, she talks a lot about dream space, especially regarding her ancestors being robbed of their dream space. Mm, mm. So the robbing of time and self-worth and connection and true rest because they were treated like machines. Mm. Dreaming disturbs this collective experience under capitalism mm. because both sleeping deeply at night so that you can dream and making enough space for silence during the day to daydream and wonder, that fuels us, that gets us more in touch with our hopes and what we're thinking about and our actual embodied experiences. Absolutely. I mean, we, we, one of the prayer practices that we visited over the summer was this getting behind the waterfall mm-hmm. contemplative practice, which is all about not reacting, trying to, you know, using an image like getting behind a waterfall to let wisdom emerge. And it's totally this like dream picture, but this is an issue of access. Like not everybody has the same access to do a practice like that. Mm-hmm. And that should grieve us and, 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 and call us to, to, to want change. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I even noticed too, when I started thinking about like, oh, maybe I'll use more time just to daydream while I'm feeding my daughter Sadie or whatever it may be. 
But I don't know if you've ever, when you've done a mindfulness activity, maybe here on your own and your mind kind of wanders and you're supposed to let it wander and then gently right. bring yourself back yourself. to the... Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but I noticed every time I was daydreaming or my mind was wandering, I was thinking about a to-do list or something that mm-hmm. needed to be accomplished. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was total productivity mindset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so instead, what does it look like to actually fully dream, to think about new possibilities Um, And she says that dreaming is the centerpiece of liberation. And a Hmm. really big question that she asks is, how do we dream ourselves free? Hmm. Which I love. Hmm. Um, We've got a quote to go along with that, too, that I can pull up for us here. She writes, we can't continue to attempt to dream up new ways of being while still supporting systems of domination. We can't simply talk about the hopes of a world centered in justice while we continue to exhaust ourselves and each other and remain in allegiance with grind culture. And a story in thinking about this idea of dreaming up new possibilities of not just remaining in allegiance with grind culture. Um, I was on a trip in college and we visited the, it's called the Slave Haven Underground Railroad Museum in Memphis. And there was one picture that stood out among many. And it was a picture of a ship with really swirling waters and souls that were leaving the waters that represented bodies that were tossed overboard. And the museum guide told us something that has stayed with me ever since. She said that the route of the slave ships actually changed the swimming patterns of the sharks that lived in those waters. And the sharks still swim the same paths today which is a profound literal consequence, but I think it should force us to ask ourselves, how are we swimming the same paths, Mm. knowingly and unknowingly? Mm. How can we dream up new paths that aren't treating bodies as machines, Mm. that aren't treating people as less than human, as disposable? How do we disrupt the well-worn and violent path? Mm. And so this dreaming isn't just lightly thinking about your to-do list. It's dreaming up a new way and a new future that can be liberating for all people. Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, that sort of segues into the third part of what she talks about of dreaming leads to resistance. Yes. Uh Yeah, and so resistance, um, she kind of frames by saying that the time is up for any shallow wellness work that doesn't speak about dismantling the systems that are making us unwell. And so this is the issue with kind of trendy wellness. It's not that some people don't experience rejuvenation or it can be really good for some people, but it's that some people, often the focus is on personal wellness and it's not accessible to everyone. It doesn't address the systems that are actually draining us and using bodies to the point of exhaustion. So that's, this is the work of countering white supremacy and capitalism, like that's the backbone of this movement. And it shows that grind culture isn't just another buzzword that we can toss around. Um, And this is the piece that gets left out. This resistance piece gets left out by people who are trying to just co-opt her work. So you, earlier, you said, uh, this is something that we've repeated a lot at this church, of like self-care equals community care. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're not, I think that, I I sort of want to ask like, that is that is possible, right? For like them to be the same thing, because it feels like it's such a pull, right? Mm-hmm. It's like if we're if we're if we're caring for community, um, does that place all of this like heavy burden on my shoulder? Which is exactly what we've been coming against in this in this this uh, this whole series this fall of trying to see Jesus saying, "Not here are more burdens for you, mm-hmm. so that you can be a good person." And 
I don't know, go to heaven or something, but rather seeing Jesus say, come to me all you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. That is there, um, like uh, what, what do we have to change yeah. about the, maybe it's that, you know, the image, like is it the cups and you know, we're, we're driving from a scarcity mindset. What do we have to change about our image where when we get out of the idea of like, yeah, but if I care about this larger thing, I'm gonna feel exhausted and it's gotta be one or the other is gonna win. I'm either gonna be exhausting myself to care about something larger than me or I'm gonna be caring about something larger than me uh, or I'm gonna refuse to do that but, but care for myself. How do we get out of that? Yeah. Uh, it, like, I don't know, like maybe it's, is it just we need new metaphors like we were talking about before? I think so and I think um, it is that idea of I need to wait until I'm filled up before I pour it before out. Before I but pour it out, then nothing's gonna change, right? I think yeah. something yeah. that you said maybe this fall or maybe another uh, time, uh-huh. um, I think it's this difference between doing something out of obligation mm. or feeling called and yeah. pulled into a certain type of work. Yes. Um, because we can't do it all and be it all and that's not what we're called to do. But resting isn't this stagnant thing. Like you're not in a place of just simply waiting to feel like, okay, now I'm ready to do something because I don't think we'll ever get there. This exhaustion is just the waters that we swim in. It's a reality for all of us, even if we're trying really hard to counter it with rest. Um, So I think it's not viewing rest as like a stagnant waiting place, Uh but an ongoing um, just acts of self-compassion as you move through this work and for me, it really comes down to obligation versus like call. I know it's kind of a religious no, term. No, I, I mean, I, I think I really like that. And especially thinking about how uh, the way Trisha Hershey puts it is dream leads to resist. The idea that um, to dream is not to sit and feel the obligation of all of the injustices of the world and why, you know, like you have to, you have to fix it, oh, person who is, you know, just you. Uh, mm-hmm. But rather to sit and let wisdom, what was it? It was uh, uh, latent wisdom emerge or whatever it was. Yeah, wisdom uh, that's dormant in our bodies. Wisdom that's dormant in our minds. Yeah, like come up. Like maybe that is, that's the picture of waiting for God to call me to what is next rather than for me to just respond to this burden or obligation I feel. Um, when, we, when we have these experiences in, in restful space, in sacred time, we no longer, we, we look at, the, at the, the things that need to change in the world or the things that grieve us and we don't just respond to them because we're like, oh my gosh, what are people going to think of me if I don't respond to that? But rather we respond to that because something is moving inside mm-hmm. of us that's actually compelling us forward. And that is, that's not going to exhaust us by definition. It's going to be something where we're, we're tapping, we're feeling more alive as a result of that. Yeah. And something she talks about is rejecting urgency. Ooh, like this yeah. idea that we need to respond and move right away and have all this pressure on other people to do the oh same. Oh my gosh, we're, we're sort of pasting that on top of the idea of resist is like, yes. and you better do it now because if you don't, what are people going to think on Facebook? You know, like yeah. that, that, that's so, yeah, yeah, ugly. ugly. Even a, a story she tells, um, she took a, um, her own Sabbath away from her work and told people ahead of time she was doing this and set a uh, response on her email saying she would be away and she still had people contacting her saying, I know that you're not looking at this, but if you do happen to look at your email, if you could get back to me about this retreat we want you to lead, like things like that. She's like, no, just reject the urgency that you Mm. need to have either a take on something right away or even a personal response right away. Like what are are the demands that we're placing on ourselves and on others that are exhausting us even more so we can't actually be in the work we want to be in. That makes sense to me. That makes self-care and community care feel connected in a way that the, I don't know, the, the narrow usual conversation about it makes it feel like they have to steal from one another. Yes, so I like yeah. that a lot. I like that. Yeah. Um, 
do anything more on, on resistance before we move to her last piece? Um, let's move to the last yeah. one. Okay, so last one is imagine. Yes, mm -hmm. imagine. And in the same way that we can kind of discount dreams, uh, Trisha talks about we can kind of write uh, imagination off as childish too, mm. Mm. but imagination can be a liberation tool because we're able to craft the world that we want to see. She talks about how white supremacy and capitalism didn't just magically happen. Someone imagined them, sure. collective sure. imagined them, and put them into place. And so we too have a right to reimagine our world and to test out new possibilities. Mm. She talks about the possibility of transmuting trauma to power, which I really love. Tell, say, tell us more about that, what that means. Yeah, being able to take the reality of circumstances and not seeing that as your landing place, but a fuel for reimagining what could be. Mm, mm. Um, so looking at the ways that um, she actually looks to Afrofuturism as both a promise of like uh, what could be anyone and read any right Afrofuturism? Now. So they'd be like Octavia Butler, yeah. This Other, is this is anyone? also a good um, a good segue to. Mm -hmm. There's a list of resources that she includes in her book that I can definitely put on Discord mm -hmm. later because for me it brought up a lot of poetry and books and things like that that I'd like to read. Um, so I can put that on there too. Oh, that's good because um, if we're if we're in the imagined space, we're not talking about like um, we're not talking about like better ideas. We're talking about like like fiction or mm -hmm. you know narratives that can help us imagine different futures. I like yes, that. Yes, yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. Um, it's a wider view of imagination uh -huh, uh -huh, too. Uh -huh. um, and she talks about how people often ask her for some like quick tips on how to rest more. And it's funny because it's counter to how slow this work is because yeah. there's so much yeah. deprogramming involved. Yeah. Yeah. We're so deeply entrenched. And so being able to prioritize rest and imagination can't just be a quick to-do list because quick and instant don't actually honor our complexities as humans. It takes imagination to reinvent new ways of doing things. She talks about how our, rest, our resting now opens a portal for a rested future. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And something that she names too is that rest is resurrection that we rest in order to wake up to something new, not to give back to the systems that are draining us. So rest isn't just a pause where you go back to whatever you were doing before. Rest is a waking up to something new, and that's resurrection. I like that. So that gets back to where you started us of rest. Rest is not a luxury. It is something in and of itself that is a good thing, and it's not just to um, recover so that you can pour back in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rest is resurrection. And so you're, uh, it, it's not as though you're like, you pour out and then you get poured back up and then you pour out, but you're, you're actually moving on to something beyond what you were before. Yes. That's good. That's good. And I really do think after reading this, that imagination is a counter to busyness at the center because uh -huh. imagination does not feel or seem productive. And yet it's the key to being able to think of, conceive of a new way of being that is more liberating for all people. I, I remember being at a conference uh, once that was um, a mix of, of theologians and fiction authors. And one of the, one of the authors who, who writes fiction um, uh, began their talk by saying, um, imagine we live in a world where every year, every single person in the world reads one great work of fiction. And, that, and, and so, you know, we're sitting in that for a second. And then, and then they ask us, would that world be more just than the world we have today? And I was like, 
yeah, that, that, that's really well stated, right? Like, just, like, narratives and, and stories are the, are the places we begin to sort of imagine um, wh uh, what it looks like, I think, to get in the cycle that she's talking about rather than the cycle of more, 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 better, 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 faster, faster, faster. Yeah. yeah. And she even says, like, how, how would our justice work look different if all involved were not sleep-deprived? Yeah, and yeah. it's so important. Well, and, it's, and even, like, the image of, like, sitting down to read a book of fiction, like... Why don't we do that? Because we're sleep deprived and exactly. because we're exhausted, right? So that's, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm struck by um, where, you, where you took us there of this idea that um, it's uh, something that I think has been on repeat for this series is that uh, little tips are important, and yet um, this is not something that, uh, that each of us as individuals fixes for ourselves on our own with a you know, self-help guide, right? This is something more that, um, that it's, it, it's something that we, we counter in a group together, creating spaces of rest, of sacred time, as we've been talking about. And the challenge there is that it can feel a little destabilizing in our individualized culture of like, oh, it, but just give me something to do. You know, that's, that's, why, we, that's why we send mm -hmm. emails to Trisha Hersey and be like, can you just give us the quick tips, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so that's destabilizing. But there's also a beauty to that of this idea of taking the pressure off of individual shoulders. And that's been the whole point uh, this, this entire time is if we can counter individual burnout with individual plans, we'd already have done it. Like, we're, we're super smart people, right? But this is a societal thing. This is, this is atmospheric. It's all around us. It's not something that I can just, you know, by my own willpower, fight and, and, and overcome. And, and what that means is that it doesn't fall totally on my shoulders. Yes. Uh, there's, there's a challenge to that because it's bigger than me, but it's wonderful to feel like we're... Weird, uh, when, when we create spaces of sacred time or rest, whether it's Soup Sunday at my in-laws or here at church on a Sunday where you can get prayed for or just sing some songs or slow down for a minute, what, what that means is, you know, like if one person is absent or if you're not there, everything doesn't fall apart. It's mm -hmm. not all on your shoulders. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's a, that's a beautiful thing that, that community can do for one another. Uh, but, but it takes kind of commitment to that thing. It does. And I think that our own self-care our rest practices that we lean into sets the tone for communal care. Mm. Um, and I'll leave us with a picture of Jesus in the midst of all of this too. There's a story in the gospels of Jesus falling asleep in the back of the boat. Yeah. Um, and then there's a storm and the disciples get freaked out and they're like, hey, aren't you gonna intervene here? Um, and we often, I think we picture Jesus, if you've heard this story before, as just like nodding off because of maybe the, the rock of the waves and the lull of whatever it may be. But he is a pillow, it says. So this was intentional. <laughs> this was an intentional lying down in the back of a boat. And when chaos ensues, he's sleeping. Mm. And I, I just think that there is so much we can do to be in the chaos, to be doing the work. And we can't do that unless we're finding moments to be in the back of the boat sleeping. Yeah. And maybe thinking of Jesus as that, like, sleeping on a pillow, that intentional rest, the intentional laying down, mm. um, with rest as a resurrection to be waking up to something new and powerful. Mm. Amen. Yeah. Would you pray for us? Yes. And I'd love to offer um, a blessing that is in the book. This is part of an invocation that she gives, that Trisha Hersey gives at the beginning of these collective napping experiences. So if you want to get comfortable in your seat and close your eyes, this um, is a blessing that she gives. 
This is an invitation for weary souls to rest. This is a resistance. This is a protest. This is a counter-narrative to the lie that we all aren't doing enough. We are enough. This is a counter-narrative to the lie that our worth is tied to the grind of capitalism and the lie of white supremacy. You are enough simply by being alive. Thank you for living. Thank you for resisting. Thank you for creating. Thank you for dreaming. Thank you for resting. We believe that our healing can visit us while we are napping, while we are resting, while we are sleeping, while we are slowing down. We believe this provides a dream envisioning space to invent, to create, to heal, to imagine. This is what resistance looks like. Won't you come? This is a resistance. This is a protest. Amen.